Hello and welcome to The Loud Mouth. I'm your host Stuart Simpson and today we're talking about the influence of influencers. To help me do that, we find our own influential people, Richard Simpson and Sarah Bailey. Thanks both for joining. Richard, let's start with you. Would you mind giving us a wee introduction? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my name is Richard Simpson. I'm the Joint Managing Donator and Co-Owner of Tabern. Uh, Tabern is a brand agency. Uh, we are in our uh, fifth decade of business. Um, I didn't start the business, but uh, I am privileged enough to be part of our succession plan uh, over a number of years that sees me as the joint MD and co-owner today. Um, we specialize with, uh, specialize in, I should say, uh, strategy, design, and, uh, and content um, for brands, typically um, in, in food and drink, um, professional services, and, uh, and technology. But over the years, we've worked with just about every conceivable brand of uh, all shapes and sizes. Uh, thanks, Richard. Uh, Sarah, how about you? So I'm Sarah. I am account and marketing manager at Studio LR. Studio LR is a creative agency. Um, we offer services in graphic design and branding strategy. Um, before that, I worked client side, so mainly in alcohol marketing before moving to the agency just over a year ago. Let's start with a quick overview then of influencer advertising, which is our topic today. What is it and how has it come to be so popular? So you obviously have that kind of broad definition of influencers help you influence people. But I think we've defined that a lot further in the past couple of years where influencers can help to show their audience how to use a product. Maybe there's different ways you can use it, encourage adoption and remove barriers, potential barriers for them using that product um, and that you can also use influencers to help reposition your brand um, so I think we've took it much further than just influencing and getting them to just use the product we can use them to do a lot of other things as well yeah I, I can add a bit more to that as well which I, th I think is in terms of the way that the the influencer has has evolved as as well and to Sarah's point, it's not necessarily just about connecting someone with a large following in social media, attaching them to a brand. There's, there's got to be reasons for the alignment. But um, interestingly, I think the the type of influencer that uh, you, you get today um, varies from uh, those as part of the creator economy who maybe have shot to fame as a result of social media. Um, you've got those that are maybe more media personalities already because they um, are either film stars or music pop stars um, sports stars whatever um, and 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 then you get the subject matter influencers and I think this is quite an interesting one because this is this has been the focus of quite a lot of our work over the past few while where historically you would have referred to them as maybe journalists um, and they maybe have columns in, in newspapers but today because of the proliferation of media there's so many different channels available to them so Rather than just having a column in the newspaper, they've actually got a podcast. They've got um, a YouTube channel. They've got um, a large following on uh, various social media channels uh, where their audiences go and, and engage with the content. And and so again, it's it's looking at that deep subject matter expertise in a variety of different fields. And um, I suppose what what is uh, is is a fact of today is is the the number of micro niches um, that you can get where. Um, you know, there's there's expertise and at sort of all uh, levels of granularity. I sort of thought that the rise of influencers and influencer advertising sort of reached its peak. I mean, from what you guys are saying, actually, 
you know, there's a long way still to go and um, sort of we've broadened the scope for what classes influencers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's actually just practical reasons that have uh, drove that kind of the rise in influencers, such as equipment is a lot cheaper to buy now and so much more widely available. People can buy really good cameras, microphones, there's YouTube tutorials on how to use it. And I think another practicality is in lockdown, people had more time and could pursue maybe that that side hustle or that hobby of creating content which then led to influencing um so i think that kind of yeah the gig economy um there was lots of kind of yeah little reasons that have pushed people who might not have even thought about that five years ago lockdown cheap equipment people can just give it a go really yeah and richard you you sort of talked about how there's there's more granularity to influencers life Absolutely, and and I think uh, you know you you have these almost macro influencers at a, a truly global scale with millions of followers who, um, you know, media personalities in their own right, but actually the the, the world of the micro niche is really interesting, and um, you've got you've got platforms where you can identify micro influencers with just um, you know, thousands of followers. However, what those followers have is is a deep engagement with that particular influencer in the subject matter. Um, so I mean, it, it can be as obscure as, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, gardening for lawyers or something like that. I mean, <laughs> it, really, it really does get down to to that sort of level. And I think again, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of to Sarah's point, there's a lot of um, tools and and encouragement uh, for people to to you know follow their passions and and create that um, that sort of level of content. So, what makes a successful influencer? Is it a dedicated fan base is it the professionalism they get over or is it just audience size what is it that's that's really can make successful influencer and um, yeah so i think we've kind of touched on that there should be a, a genuine user of, of the product or brand or maybe they're a potential user um but i think what i've found and how we've developed that to make it a successful influence is if they're accepting of the fact that it is an ad and um, people are savvy now they know that they're looking at content which they've been paid the influencer has been paid to do so i think what makes a successful campaign now is where they've been open about that whether it's in the caption um or in their scripts they'll maybe mention it um but i think kind of in the past year or so i've seen a further development in the success of a campaign is where people maybe admit to something that's outside of their normal influence um so it could be an even niche or hobby or something that they enjoy um so it kind of not only just reflects their life circuits like a beauty influencer and they might have a lot of already engaged followers for beauty but i think it works really well if they expose themselves a little bit further and maybe mention a hobby that they also have as well and so what we see is influencers who are known for maybe one niche or topic are actually being a little bit more um open in in their other things as well yeah no i, I agree 100 percent. i mean you're absolutely spot on that disclosure because there's there is um there's no hiding place for inauthentic content and and i mean i i, I would say that from, from my perspective the, the three key things for me would be relevance is there a genuine fit and alignment between the, the brand and the influencer in question? Um, 
storytelling is key. And I mean, you see that today in terms of the, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with um, Welcome to Wrexham at the moment. Right. Um, I think okay. Ryan Reynolds, uh, I've got a mind crushing him. I'm going to play for him. But he's just, uh, he's incredible in terms of what he's um, he's achieved with aviation gen, aviator gen, sorry. And um, I mean, you, you see the platform that him and Rob McLenny are creating at Wrexham. And it's now a story, a, a series on, on, on uh, Disney Plus, and you've got these rich stories coming across of the fans. And again, they've, they've come from having Eiffel Williams uh, trailers uh, on on their, their shirts to TikTok, which is which is crazy. But it just goes to show them that sort of that relevance in storytelling. And again, there's an interesting point there because what the hell is Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney doing buying a football club? It's a bit like Jeremy Clarkson and the farm as well. There's there's you know, but they're they're open about their complete and utter lack of subject matter expertise of this context and really it's an opportunity for them to be vulnerable um to tell that story in a sort of warts and all it's very engaging but equally they, they do um you know i think they bring a lot of creativity to it um and at the end of the day they um you know i i think there's this capacity for it to do um quite a lot of good as well um i mean i, I believe that clarkson's farm has done more for the farming industry than country file or landlord have over decades of of production in, in on um, conventional TV. So um there are there are definite upsides to that. Yeah, I mean I think you touched on a little bit there, Richard, when you said um vulnerability. One of the things that uh I think we've all heard a bit about with influencers is this um trend towards authenticity in advertising. And I know a lot of people think that uh, influencers are a good way to kind of push that authentic aspect of what they're trying to do. I think it can definitely work having a trend of authenticity with influencers because as we've said, influencers now are a lot more open about paid content. And um, so I think we've already kind of crossed that that first bridge or, or hurdle when it comes to authenticity. And then I think probably the next stage of authenticity is going a bit more behind the scenes about how they use the brand or product. So for example, rather than it just being a static photo of I'm holding this drink and I enjoy this drink, let's create video content about showing how they maybe make that in their kitchen. Um, I think that's probably the second part of authenticity is not just giving this illusion or message that they are a consumer of the product, but I want to see how do you use the product? Do you use it every day? Give me a bit more information. So that's probably where influencers have a, a bit more of a responsibility and to be authentic that they're not just a consumer, but that it's genuine. And would they maybe continue to use the product outside of that paid partnership? Do you think audiences have become a lot more savvy to, to lip service? 100%. And I think that that's probably because more people are looking to be influencers. Um, so I think it's because it's it's become a lot more kind of yeah shared knowledge. People are a lot more savvy because more people are doing it, and there's just more conversation happening around it for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as a as a, as a brand guy who's been in this game for twenty odd years now, authenticity, being authentic, is is absolutely integral to getting any traction with a brand. And so, the fact that there is greater scrutiny as a result of the consumers' ability to use digital channels to find out more 
about products and and people and and all all these details they can do their own due diligence there so it can only serve as a good thing because it removes the um yeah the the the, the fakeness um that um um can often um plague the industry in the round let's talk a little bit about what's what's the risk of of using an influencer are you giving up too much control over what you're doing or is that just part of making sure that you're betting the right people yeah, I think there is absolutely huge risk involved because ultimately they can post whatever they want. You know, you they don't work for your team. Um, and it, I think, however, saying that, that can be totally negated. I suppose not actually totally negated, but at least helped, you know, to reduce that with a good brief. And I think um, our responsibility working with influencers is making sure that brief is extremely clear. And then that's led to a assigned contract and i think um if there's kind of people listening who who brief i think advice would just be be so specific it's not just here's what we want the photo to look like or the content to look like and here's the caption it can be things like getting one of your designers to mock up a storyboard about how they want it to to look or how it's posted and things like how long the post should be live but also for example i had um a very bad experience using an influencer where we paid them to put content up this wasn't in my current role this was previous role we paid them to put content up and they deleted it after an hour because it didn't fit with their feed so it's things like putting in the contract how long it should be live for should it be a pinned post um and one thing i've found quite helpful is having mock accounts um, so influencers who are quite savvy or maybe they've worked with agencies before a really good technique is that they actually have a mock account they'll post the content and then it will be approved by um, the client or the agency working with them so there's total transparency of this is what I'm going to post can you approve it yes okay that's what's going to be posted on my feed um, so even though there is risk um, and ultimately there is a you giving up some control i think you can protect yourself with a strong brief with clear direction and a and yeah signed contract really i guess there's a fine line to walk there because you don't want to sort of over specify what you're looking for i guess it's some of what you're looking for from an influencer is that spontaneity and that of course yeah that is important and i think that's probably why it's good to get them involved in the process and um, get them involved in writing the brief ultimately they know their followers a lot more than you do and they know what works what has strong engagement and and they're going to be more receptive of what you might ask it's like any kind of client or agency relationship or anytime you're working with a supplier the more you talk about what you want from the process it's going to be a lot more enjoyable and a lot better result hopefully anyway 300 percent. yeah i mean i think it's like very clear well-made points um and, and practical advice as well i mean I, I, my only my only addition really is is just it's just the reputation piece i mean that's something that's plagued um the idea of celebrity endorsement forever i mean the minute you get into bed with somebody else you are exposed to their own um reputation and so you know over the over the years um you know really high profile stuff like like tiger woods um and uh, I mean, we've 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 had quite an interesting one recently, where where um, 
we approached someone. I'll, I'll, I wouldn't name the brand. I wouldn't name the, the individual, but you know, quite well, quite well known. Um, in in um, that that sort of uh, reality TV um, space, and um, uh, he he uh, became quite sort of self righteous about working with alcohol and so forth. Only for a few days later to post a picture of him absolutely off his tits. Oh wow! Wow! Absolutely. So <laughs> I think we actually dodged the bullet with the end of that. Yeah. Uh, but, but it you know it, it just it just goes to show that. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, the serious points absolutely superb. You have to give that, that tight brief and um, have these uh, contracts where you can in, in place. But equally, there is that element of just, just surrendering because at the end of the day, it's people and, and we know how unpredictable yeah. people people can be. So. I think there's probably more risk with a celebrity than an influencer. Because the influencer probably is more receptive of a, a brief. It depends how you you view. Because I mean, I guess the, the the influencers in some sphere have become celebrities in their own right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so that they're being more exposed to um, all the trappings of that celebrity sort of lifestyle. Um, so I mean, it's 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 yeah, it's uh, influencers are in a. a... A lot of them are in a bit of a strange world where they're like they're not professional, they're not amateur, they're you know it's it's an odd space I think and one where we're not historically that used to dealing with people who are kind of more a professional non professional. I think it depends on on, on the category. Um, I mean, certainly we've we've done a lot in 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 whiskey and so if you're working with with some of the, the subject matter influencers and in, in, in whiskey, I mean they're, they're very very professional individuals, they're very knowledgeable. Um, and they're, they're generally going to post the sort of content reviews and testimonials and endorsement that you 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 want. It might be also as well whether they're ma- macro or micro. If they've only got a thousand really loyal, engaged followers, they want to make sure that their content and their brand is on point and it's informative. So, plus, yeah, we can't apply the same to everyone it does depend on their followers as you said their topic so yeah it's very interesting i do find this concept of micro influencers very interesting because i think in in my head when i think influencers i do think of the people with like eight to ten million people on tiktok um but you know you're saying that actually some of the more more effective influencers might be the ones that just have very dedicated you know if that eight million people maybe ten people actually engage with what you're doing that's not very, but if this guy has, say, 5,000 followers and actually 3,000 of them act on your brand, that's a much better return than investment. A friend of mine who's got a uh, tech company, so he's moved more into the um, crypto and NFT space, but for a while he was looking at how he could um, monetize or, or help influencers monetize their, their businesses through digital currencies. So you've got um, the guy, the Anfield Rap, for example. Um, so He's a content creator around uh, Liverpool FC, um, and so I mean his his following is is large in the context of being a fan. Um, but I mean, every time he jumps on Twitch, um, you, you know the, there's there's just this rush to to log in and, and people literally hanging off every word that he that he says. Got an interest in 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 the fitness community. So again, you you can see a, a really interesting mix of of micro influencers that um follow um you know particular um 
particular beliefs or particular trade programs or uh, maybe they're, they're into a particular um, segment of, of health and well-being. Again, they're the absolute deep subject matter expert on mobility flow, for example, a guy called Kelly Starrett with the ready, with the ready state. Um, interesting enough, I was just thinking about another sort of um, uh, situation where it, where it went really badly, which is um, the Liver King. Have you, have you followed you followed his? I don't know that one. The, the Liver King. So, I mean, this guy who's nuts, I mean, he basically claimed to live like a primal human. So he would literally eat uh, bags of raw liver, um, I mean, he had followings of, of millions. Delicious. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was grim, really grim to watch. He claimed to sleep on a uh, wooden bed um, and he walked around with his shirt off all the time. He was absolutely jacked. And he turns out he's been juicing. He's on the steroids. Okay. Wow. Um, completely fine down. Um, he was called out by Joe Rogan. So it's, um, you know, it, it's it's just it's just that, it's that thing you are, you are passing up. An element of 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 control here, so you've you've got to do your due diligence into um into the individuals in question. I mean, and that that's an interesting point as well. How do you go about matching a brand to an influencer? Like, what's what's that kind of research like? How do you come across some of these people that might be a perfect fit for what you're looking for? I think probably just stripping it right back and just thinking about um what's your goal? Why are you using the influencer? Because that then funnels down into whether you choose a macro or a micro because if you are wanting to you know make 3,000 sales make you know convert x into y then you need to go with someone with a very engaged audience whereas if you're just wanting to maybe say do a, a brand awareness piece or create a bit of noise whether that's good noise or bad noise you just want to hit as many people as possible um so I think Firstly, on my end, I just, yeah, establishing that goal. And then also one step further is what can the influencer do that your internal marketing can't? Um, and that'll help push your strategy a little bit further forward. Um, you shouldn't be using influencers for really anything that you can do internal because then they just become like a tick box, um, which is where it gets a bit dangerous and you're just blowing your, your marketing budget. So think about everything that they can do, whether it's reaching new customers or yeah showing them something that you can't do um and that'll probably just those two questions in themselves will help you pick who you think is most appropriate and who'll be most effective how can we tell uh, our return on investment on an influencer spend i mean kind of a hard thing to re-judge isn't it i mean i think it, it depends very much on what the objectives are from the outside to sarah's point as well i mean this is a brand awareness exercise well, if that's the case, then you've got to put in place the um, relevant tools and and um, sentiment analysis to 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 measure that. Um, you know, it could be uh, depending on the type of brands. It could be more about traffic and conversions. Um, you could look at cost per acquisition. It's the standard marketing stuff. Yeah, correlating direct, directly to sales and revenue can be challenging. Um, because there's obviously a little bit of a leap involved, but if you're clear from the outside in terms of what it is that you're wanting to achieve, wanting to achieve on behalf of the brand, um, then yeah, you can you can put in place the the appropriate metrics, and there's there's all, all manner of tools in order to make sure that you can measure whether or not um, it, it has been success. I mean, you know, again, engagement being being up being another obvious one um, in terms of the the, the posts and, and the content. 
And I think, and I can't stress this enough because this is again something I've learned off my own feelings is getting a before and after. You know, if you you can't measure if you didn't know what their following or engagement was before. Yeah. Um, but a really practical thing that I've learned is just specifically on Instagram. Um, but there's a feature where you can make posts collaborative, so it's shared from both accounts. And that gives the brand access to all of the insights. You're not actually relying on the influencer to send you over those figures because, again, that is another part of the the risk and the control. It's not just what they actually post, but are they even going to send you their figures? Are you going to get that data from them? So include that ask in your brief as well. Maybe, okay, after 24 hours, please can you screenshot um, these insights so we can gather that data because, yeah, you're relying on them to to give you that as well and that could lead to you getting a promotion or you know getting a bigger okay. budget next year but if you don't have that data then you you get lost really just as we come to the end now let's let's turn our attention toward the future what is next for influencer advertising I and mean, where are we going with this richard as you said this has evolved a lot over the last few years where is it going to evolve to next yeah i mean it's a it's an interesting point i mean i think as with any space, you've you've got to consider the the regulatory stuff that's, that's coming down the line, and and certainly social media is under huge scrutiny. Um, if you've just seen the Dove campaign around the influence on body image in, in young girls, um, so I think there's going to be more increased regulation to um, monitor the the type of content that's that's being being put out there. Um, I think there's there's something that's that's was quite interesting just around about technology as well. Um, obviously, AI is is the subject on on everyone's lips at the moment. So, um, you know, are we going to get to the point where I mean, we already have got um, uh, digital avatars being created that are creating influence and in their in their own right. So, um, there's there's going to be all sorts of interesting stuff coming down the line with, with tech for sure. I think for brands that are a little bit braver, big gutsier, I think it would be a really cool development if rather than just asking influencers to post about their product, I think it would be quite interesting if they asked the influencer to say maybe how they could improve it or get their community involved um, for product development. Um, I think we haven't really seen that merge of influences and online communities with product development yet um i think they use quite separate focus groups and um, you know i think that would be very exciting i know i would watch that content say if um i don't know say if gusto um or hello fresh center box we've all seen i don't know if you guys like i get fed those ads constantly of influencers using hello fresh it would be a lot more exciting if the influencer maybe spoke about what ingredients they might switch out or what would they use instead um but i think that would only work um with brands who would be willing to give up a little bit more control maybe so you think more collaboration yeah i think rather than it just being that very linear process of brand sending a product to an influencer influencer showing that to their community getting them involved as you said in a much more collaborative scene um about how the brand could maybe listen to the influencers, the community, um, and see how they would improve the product. Um, 
So it's a bit more kind of, yeah, it almost goes the other way. It's that the community yeah. say what product they would like to have or see, and then you send it right back to the brand and that informs maybe the next product they release. I think it could work for, yeah, food, drink, makeup, um, clothing maybe. That's like a step more than sort of a customized version of something, you know. So rather than actually just saying, well, we've got like a trailer with your name on it or something like that, it's actually coming come and design it yeah because i think we've all kind of seen those really fun campaigns where say walker's crisp ask what's the nation's favorite or what flavor do they want to see next that's done quite traditionally still um you, you vote or uh, whether they still have people writing in saying what flavor they want i don't know um but you could see that almost being like an influencer a thread of comments um or people might make their own walker's crisp and that's the content creation. And then it goes right back to the pastry. Um, I'm probably just saying this because I want more flavors of Walker's crisps. <laughs> I think you've held something really quite compelling there, actually, Sarah, because because it is it's the next step. It's the next evolution. It's I mean, we, we talk about this a lot in tech, product market fit. Uh, I'm, I'm involved. I'm an investor in, our, in, our, in a young company that makes a recovery device. Um, combines heat, ice, and compression into one device. So it's technically a new invention. And uh, it's called uh, Rixo.com. There's a wee plug. Um, anyway, and, um, very good, very good value and amazing recovery. Um, but but actually, what's really interesting is actually using the community to um, suggest program features and updates. Where's, where's the, the next line? What's, what's the next piece of product development we're going to release? How can you improve already i think that's that's a that's a really interesting thought so well thank you both richard and sarah for joining us on the live mic richard if people want to talk to you about this topic or or get in touch where can they find you on the internet yeah so they, they can find me on uh uh LinkedIn, um richard simpson tabern uh and um if they want some uh middle-aged crossfit content they can find me at richard simpson five on instagram uh, and uh, conventional email works as well, Richard Simpson at tabern.co.uk. Great. And Sarah? Yeah, likewise. Um, just Sarah Bailey um, on LinkedIn. But yeah, happy to, to answer any questions or, or have conversations with people who are interested. Thanks very much for listening to The Loudmouth. If you've enjoyed this episode, then why not subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. You can find out more about us on the web at loudmouthfilms.com, and you can find us on Instagram at We Are Loudmouth. We'll be back next month with another dose of creativity. Creativity.